Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I told you, I told you spring break is just awesome. It really is just terrific. I can't dispute the terrificness that comes with being a teacher during spring break. It's one of the perks. What can I say? An opportunity to record another podcast here on the SB Nation network of podcasts and the grizzlybearblues.com podcast network itself. I am your host, Joe Molinax, site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com. Have another great episode for you to listen to. If you already got through the episode from yesterday, now you can catch up and listen to the one on Tuesday's show. Pretty excited about this podcast. Later on down the road, I have a terrific guest that everybody who is familiar with GBB Live was very familiar with uh, a big fan of the GBB bump. Mr. Peter Edmiston will be joining me to talk about an article that he has going live today about the front office search for the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, we're going to take a closer look at the head coaching side of things as well, because, of course, that's a big piece of this puzzle as well. Now that the Grizzlies have decided to restructure everything, you need a head coach in addition to a front office uh, executive with experience. So we'll talk about both layers of that with Peter. And then we'll also talk the uh, market for DeLon Wright, who is a pretty fascinating case study when you think about it. A young man who comes over from Toronto, expands into a larger role, really finishes the season quite nicely. But how much of that is inflation due to end of season basketball? How much of that is him embracing the role of a sixth man slash starter uh, in place of Mike Conley. So that'll be with Peter in the second part of this podcast. But first, I'm very excited to welcome onto the show uh, an associate editor for us at grizzlybearblues.com. But the cool thing about this gentleman, and one of the reasons I wanted to make sure I got him on during my spring break, is he also is an experienced Eastern Conference fellow. He is a contributor to Celtics blog, the remarkable Boston Celtics SB Nation team site blog. Uh, They do an awesome job over there. I've met Jeff before. Uh, He is one of the OGs, the original gangsters when it comes to blogging. Uh, Jack loves Boston sports. He's a big fan of the Grizzlies, obviously, and he supports us in an associate editor role at GBB. But he also pays attention to the Eastern Conference. We're going to talk NBA playoffs at large. Of course, the Boston-Memphis connection is one that's especially relevant right now because of the race to convey that has recently concluded, and now we're all waiting with bated breath for the ping pong balls to roll on May 14th for the NBA lottery. We're going to talk all about all of that and more with GBB associate editor, Mr. Jack Noonan. Jack, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know you're a busy young man and you've got a lot going on. So I appreciate the chance to talk with you here. And let's start with that Boston connection because you have the unique perspective of being on both sides of the convey. And I can't really think of anybody off of the top of my head that is in that boat. On one hand, you see the Memphis side, and you see how the team has been trying to convey the pick pretty extensively until maybe the end there, where they prioritize the health of Mike Conley. Uh, You have to imagine if Conley played one of those games that they lost, they probably would have won, and this would have been a moot point. But it looks like they decided the risk of injury was too great to even test it. 
and he is their best trade chip, so it's hard to argue against that per se. But Memphis was trying to convey this pick, and they still have a shot at it. They just need a little bit of help now. On the flip side, Boston is probably hoping this pick doesn't convey this year because they want the protections to keep loosening up and get to the point of 2021 where it's an unprotected first-round pick that could hold significant value to the Boston Celtics. So give me the Boston perspective of the race to convey. Yeah, and it's really interesting. That's a great way to put it, that, that you can see, or I'm able to see both sides of the argument, because like like you said, with the Boston, it's more about trying to keep, push their assets, I guess, farther and farther out, so they'll be more of an unknown for a potential, looks like Danny Ainge is going to go all in for Anthony Davis in the summer, with or without, well, depending, I'm not really sure, without Kyrie, but if Kyrie's on the roster, he's going all in for Anthony Davis, and so Boston and the Boston media and fans want this pick to stay as an unknown more than it be locked in the ninth seed this in this draft of a week weaker class we're looking to see. But um, if it's you know top six next year or even possibly 2021, New Orleans won't know what they're possibly going to get with a pick that's in 2020 or 2021 makes total sense and and that really is the perspective to keep because when the Grizzlies fans look at this situation it's either they they value the opportunity at a top four pick which I think makes some sense again Zion uh, officially declaring for the draft on Monday night uh, via his Instagram page everybody kind of assumed that was going to happen but he's going to go number one you'd imagine some combination of John Morant and uh, RJ Barrett will go two and three depending on who gets the second and third pick doesn't necessarily make sense for the Hawks, for example, if they get the second pick overall to take uh, to take Morant because they already have Trey Young. So you'd imagine Barrett perhaps would go there at two, and then maybe the Suns would get Morant at three. But regardless, beyond that, at least if you get to four, there's some value for Memphis in terms of getting to pick which wing you want. You know, do you want DeAndre Hunter? Do you want Jarrett Culver? Is there you you kind of get a feel for at least what your pick is, and you don't have to depend on somebody else's uh, sloppy seconds for for lack of a better term. Uh, the the guy that they didn't want uh, falling down to you at eight or even seven or, or excuse me not seven either eight or uh, into that top four. It, it's just more beneficial. It gives you more options, more of a choice. So that's good for the Grizzlies in that regard. But at the same time. If that pick conveys and it's just the ninth overall pick in this draft, that's not as attractive to New Orleans because they don't necessarily want Brandon Clark. You know, they they aren't as intrigued by Darius Garland, perhaps. You know, there's there's names later in this lottery that have a lot of questions surrounding them, whether it's age, injury, uh, being Cam Reddish. You know, there's a lot of things that are that are issues uh, for players as you go down the lottery list beyond those top three, or even if you want to talk yourself into the top four, that there's some issues there. So you're exactly right. The unknown is much more valuable. I've compared it in the past to buying a new car. The second you buy a car and you drive it off the lot, it depreciates in value. Same thing here. If the Grizzlies are successful in conveying this pick, it's no longer a potential number one overall pick. That that uh, The odds of it being a possibly greater value in the draft is no, they're no longer there. It is a finite value. It's exact. It's there. It's the ninth pick, and that's nowhere near as sexy as a top six protected pick in 2020. Right. And even if you take out the Anthony Davis part of this for Boston, like let's say Anthony Davis is off the table, 
and Memphis can phase a pick. They have four first-round picks this year, and you just can't have four first-round picks <clears throat> actually drafted, you know, because there's not enough roster spots for these guys. So it's going to get super confusing in if they're going to have to, like, kind of trade for farther down or which you might not get as good a value as you can or else you're taking a lot of overseas guys that have to sit in, the, you know, an overseas program for a year or two so you can find room on the roster because they also had – I was saying Sacramento's and the Los Angeles Clippers first round picks. So it could get in their own, of course. So it could get, it could go real bad for the Celtics if this off season, which is terrifying for the fan base and God only knows what the media is going to do with Kyrie already questioning if he's going to stay because of the media. So it could be a really, really interesting off season for the Celtics. The funny thing about Kyrie questioning the media and whether or not that's a reason he's going to stay, where's he going to go? New York? Yeah, it's going to get a lot exactly better for right. you, Kyrie, with the New York <laughs> Knicks. You're going to go to the Lakers with LeBron? Yeah, there's not going to be any attention on you there. That's just silly. Is he going to come <laughs> exactly to Memphis right. if the Grizzlies somehow get rid of Conley and Parsons? Is that what he's going to do? You won't have as much media hey. attention. I'll give you that. I'm about uh, to say, about but, say it's clearly what he's like prioritizing. Gracious. So uh, um, yeah. I, the main storyline of this offseason for the NBA is probably, or one of the main offseason storylines, obviously LeBron and how the Lakers try to fix themselves will probably be a focus. But another one is exactly what you were just talking about that Boston trade package for Anthony Davis. It's long been assumed ever since the Pelicans pretty much destroyed the Lakers uh, through the trade deadline that they were holding out for Jason Tatum because of all the prospects that are potentially going to be thrown in for a trade for Anthony Davis. Tatum has been assumed to be the very best one, but it's not just going to be enough to send Jason Tatum. So in your opinion, and I know I've read Celtics blog and there's lots of different theories out there. What do you think is the minimum package that Boston will have to send to New Orleans to get Anthony Davis and Celtics green? I think the minimum would be Jason Tatum a lot of picks and cap filler through probably Marcus Smart. I don't have the numbers pulled up uh, in front of me, but I believe a Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and maybe one other cap filler and pretty much the whole boatload of picks would be enough. I'm sure if they're, I mean, if they're smart, they're going through their own GM problems right now. Or they just signed someone or hired someone as a new GM. Danny, Danny Fury, I believe could be wrong about that. But um, anyway, Depending on what they their starting offer is, David Griffin. That's right. Very rejected the job. That's right. Thank you for that. Um, but what I'm saying is, if they're smart, they'll say we want Brown and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and then also cap filler and picks. But I don't know how much the Celtics will be able to, I guess, go away from both of those guys. Even though you might have to, because Anthony Davis is a I mean, unbelievable generational talent. So it, it just it all depends because what I'm assuming is going to happen, and this is kind of just projection, but I would say that Kyrie is going to sign a one-year deal because all these guys are doing the one-year deal now. And then Anthony Davis will be traded, but I think it will probably be for the boatload of picks and Tatum. I think we'll be able to, the Celtics will be able to keep Brown. But then if both of them leave after that, the Celtics could just be in ruins, and that, that would just be the worst-case scenario for the team if neither of them, Kyrie or Anthony Davis, sign long-term. And but. to me, that's another reason for the Pelicans, depending on how you value Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown's pretty darn good. 
it de- depending on how you value him, New Orleans might be rooting for Memphis to convey because the less value these picks hold, the more likely it becomes that the Pelicans have room to stand and say, you know what? I don't really want that ninth overall pick, but I do want Jalen Brown. You know what I mean? So and that's going to be really interesting I, I to watch play out. Yep. Um, do you really want the ninth, the 14th, and the 17th pick in the draft, whatever it might work out being? Or do you want Jalen Brown? I think I'd rather have the, the known commodity that is Jalen Brown and take him and Tatum and maybe a couple of firsts and be done with it. But that that's, you know, that that's above my pay grade. That's why I'm not an NBA GM. <laughs> I'm I'm older than a current NBA GM level executive in Zachary Kleiman, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, but I am I am not on that level. So I'll leave that to the uh to, to the GMs of the world. I'm talking with Jack Noonan here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already do so at jnoonan1307. He does a great job for us as an associate editor and writer over at uh, SBN Grizzlies on Twitter, grizzlybearblues.com. You can also follow him at Celtics blog. He's a contributor to that terrific site. So the NBA playoffs are obviously in full swing. It's the second year in a row that the Memphis Grizzlies are not participating. I got to be honest, Jack, I don't pay as much attention when Memphis isn't in. I've watched a little bit of the games. I watched a little bit of Brooklyn and uh, Philly. I watched some of the Warriors and, oh, goodness gracious, it escapes me off the top of my head who the Warriors are playing, the Clippers. Clippers. Um, yep. Yep, the Clippers. So I watch a little bit of those games, but with Memphis out uh, and life going on around me, I, I don't focus as much as I would if the Grizzlies were playing um, but I have made some picks, and I'm a little bit surprised, not necessarily by the way that uh, the Magic have shocked the Raptors. I think Toronto will still be okay, but you know they always struggle a little bit in the first round of the playoffs for some reason. I'm not necessarily surprised by how badly Milwaukee beat Detroit because without Blake Griffin, they're a very bad basketball team. They're a mediocre basketball team with Blake Griffin. I'm not even necessarily surprised that the Spurs beat the Nuggets because Pop and San Antonio have so much experience compared to the youth of Denver. To me, the biggest surprise of the first round so far was the way that the Rockets thoroughly beat up on the Utah Jazz. Just an amazing, amazing score. 122 to 90. Houston beats Utah. Do you think the Jazz wish they had made that trade with Dante Exum in a first-round pick and sent that to Memphis to have Mike Conley? I have a sneaky suspicion they wish they had. Houston looks like a monster. Uh, you you look at the playoffs overall. Is there anything that surprises you like that? Like I said, to me, the Houston drumming of Utah was the biggest surprise so far. I still think Toronto is going to win their series. I still think Philly is going to win their series. I think Philly's in bigger trouble than Toronto, but I think they're both still going to come back and pull out those series victories. I was really stunned by how badly the Rockets beat up on the Jazz. Anything stand out to you so far in, uh, as the games enter their second game or the series enter their second game in the next couple of days? Yeah, that Jazz Rockets did stick out to me as well. I mean, it's hard when Joe Ingles had only shot four shots the whole game and ended up with three points. I mean, he's not like a ball-dominant scorer like Donovan Mitchell is on that team, but he has to contribute more in 32 minutes of play than three points on four shots. And it's just hard to have him out there in crunch time if he doesn't affect the game offensively. Of course, you're going to have – they're going – they looks like they're going big with Favors and Gobert out there at the same time with – but 
it's just a perfect matchup for the Rockets, and they can just let Capella pretty much run the court and have Harden do James Harden things and kind of shade Kenneth Reed. Kenneth Reed had a pretty good game off the bench at least. But the other um, series that stuck stuck out to me and really just kind of shows that their core problems was the Nets taking down the 76ers in the first game of that series. They're playing again Monday night, but Paris LeVert went off for 23. Daniel Russell had 26 of his own, and Jimmy Butler played well for the Sixers, but no one else played well at all for that team. And it was kind of scary if you're a Sixers fan seeing Joel Embiid out there who normally in the regular season series dominated the Nets, like all year long, took Allen every matchup they had. But with this, I guess, new knee injury that, well, I guess it might not be new, but he was completely shut down. He had, I mean, not completely shut down because he just still did have 22 and 15, but he didn't impact the game in the same way he did during the regular season because of everyone else not contributing. I mean, you can't have Tobias Harris score four points with, I mean, J.J. Redick, one of their very large contributors to the team, have five for himself. So it's that that's concerning on the level that they still don't look like those four, like the four big guys in J.J. Redick are playing well together. That doesn't make a ton of sense. It seems like their games would mold pretty well, even with Ben Simmons not being a range shooter, a, a perimeter threat. You have J.J. Redick, like you mentioned. Tobias Harris can shoot the three. Uh, Jimmy Butler, of course, has a pretty well-rounded game offensively, and even Joel Embiid can score the ball from range. So uh, it's really kind of fascinating that it hasn't worked as well as perhaps they would have liked. Uh, I, I'm pretty shocked that a team like Philly is rumored to be a dark horse for Mike Conley this summer. That that just is fascinating to me, and that is unsubstantiated. I've just read it in a couple of articles in some different spots. I can't even remember off the top of my head where I saw it, but to me, Ben Simmons as a point guard is pretty solid. W- would you make Mike Conley a sixth man? I don't see the value in that. Or are you saying that you might be willing to move on from Ben Simmons? I don't know. It's That's a confusing situation there. Uh, I had two major upsets that I don't even necessarily consider upsets in the first round of these playoffs. I'm doing Matt at Matt Moore uh, at HP Basketball's uh, NBA playoff group uh, bracket thing. I picked the Spurs to beat the Nuggets. And again, Denver had a tremendous regular season, but I don't consider that an upset because it's the Spurs and it's pop and the veterans coming off of that bench, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, uh, um, shoot, Bellinelli. Uh, Those guys are pretty darn good. And I think that the Spurs are just a little more seasoned than Denver. And I also had the Thunder beating Portland. That doesn't look as good right now, uh, the way that Portland beat up on OKC at times in game one. It was a competitive game in spots, but... Uh, in other spots, not so much. And Damian Lillard looked like the best player on the floor with Paul George and Russell Westbrook also being out there. So that's good for the Trailblazers. Uh, but I had the Spurs and the Thunder, and those are the two biggest upsets. Do you see any other kinds of upsets going on? I mean, obviously the NBA isn't really like college basketball. In a seven-game series, usually the best team wins. Yeah, unfortunately, I was pretty boring this year. The only, I guess, quote-unquote upset was the Thunder. I had the Thunder as well over the Trailblazers, but it's a shame that Nurkic is out for the Trailblazers because that would have been a great, great series. I mean, right. heck, they won They won their first game, you know, with, um, like you said, Lillard going off. But I have the Thunder winning, and that was my only upset for the first round. 
Finishing up here with Jack Noonan on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Mullinax. Follow Jack on Twitter. If you don't already do so, at jnoonan1307. Again, he contributes to the Celtics blog, but if you are familiar with the name Jack Noonan, it's probably because he is the associate editor for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're following him again, at jnoonan1307. Jack, we'll get you out of here on this. One of the players today on our blog's player review series getting a look is cj miles and he has already announced that he's opted into his player option for his contract for next year so he's going to be on the roster at least to start the season for the grizzlies maybe memphis decides to trade him at some point uh i don't know how much sense that makes i don't know what the value would be for cj but he showed flashes of being the old cj miles in his time in memphis he's shot 36 percent from three he moved relatively well. He seemed like a solid perimeter player in terms of uh, being a versatile mover, uh, switching, hedging, all sorts of different physical things that you wouldn't think C.J. Miles could do at this stage of his career as he gets closer to 32, uh, which is old in NBA years. Uh, he, he looked reinvigorated when he came from Toronto, and it's kind of like DeLon Wright, who we'll talk to Peter Edmiston about in the next segment. The idea of larger role and opportunity and being inspired by it. He didn't really have that in Toronto. Now with the Grizzlies, he did, and he looked like a different player. What do you expect from CJ Miles for the Grizzlies next season? It makes sense that he opted into that contract because let's be honest, he's not going to make that much money ever again in a single year as an NBA player. So it was widely expected that he would do this. Memphis will probably keep him around to at least see what he can physically do what do you think is the best use of him? Probably not a starter, of course, but do you see C.J. Miles cracking the rotation for the Grizzlies in 2019-2020? Yeah, I absolutely do. There's a niche role for him to come off the bench and be a burst of offense from um, three-point range. And that's what he's been his whole career. And you've seen it with I mean, the litany of teams he's been on. But his seasons with Indiana just specifically stuck out to me as I was kind of when he first came to the Grizzlies, I didn't know much about him, and I wanted to look in more into him more. And like you said, yes, he definitely is. That eight million is might not look so good coming off the bench, but still, if he can tr- contribute to the levels he did in Indiana, all three years he averaged double digit points and were played most most of the games and didn't start for Indiana either. So he played. He averaged about. 24 minutes a game with the Pacers and shot his last year with the Pacers shot 41% from three and 47 from two. And if you can get that kind of production and that was only two years ago. So that, that's another thing to keep in mind. That was when he was at 29. So I guess it would be three years ago next, next season, but still it's not that far off from what he has been doing and can do his potentials there. And I feel like if the Grizzlies can tap into that, have him like, sixth, seventh, eighth man coming off the bench, contributing, you know, the long list of wings the Grizzlies have. It'll just, if he can just get in that carousel and know his role, come off the bench and hit threes, I think he could really contribute and be as much worth to the Grizzlies as he possibly can. A sneaky good contributor on a team if they're, regardless, whether they're trying to compete for a playoff spot or whether they are looking to the future long-term. I think C.J. Miles is one of those veteran guys. You can't just have a team of a bunch of 22-year-olds. That's not possible. You can't do that. You need to have some sort of veteran presence, and I think C.J. Miles is a pro's pro. He's shown the capacity 
to be able to compete at this league, in this league, at this level for a sustained amount of time. I think he's a good value guy to keep around for all the reasons you said. I think he can still score the basketball. I was really impressed by his defensive movement. I thought he would be a little bit more washed on that end than he was. Again, Memphis is the island of misfit toys in the NBA. It's a place where guys go, they get opportunity that maybe they wouldn't have had elsewhere, and for the most part, they take advantage of it, and C.J. Miles may just be the latest example of that. Jack Noonan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really appreciated. We'll definitely have you back on down the road. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. There he goes, Jack Noonan, associate editor for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. Give him a follow at jnoonan. 1307 if you don't already follow him there he does a great job for celtics blog but i'm a bit biased i would say he does a better job for us at gbb when we come back from the break our next guest our final guest for this episode of the show peter edmiston of the athletic sports 56 whbq in memphis noted big fan of the gbb bump we're going to talk his feature in the athletic today about the front office search We'll talk about what we're looking for in the next head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, and we'll also value DeLon Wright moving forward. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, and I'm excited to bring back a, a real friend of GBB. He's always been kind to us, uh, and and he's uh, he gassed up the homies, as Parker Fleming likes to put it, before it was cool to gas up the homies over at grizzlybearblues.com. So, and it's probably still not cool, but he still does it. He's still very kind to us, and uh, he's gracious with his time on this episode of GBB Live. Mr. Peter Edmiston, he does a great job over at Sports 56 WHBQ in the mornings. Uh, he There's been some restructuring over there. His new co-host, I'll let him talk a little bit about that. Uh, they're doing a great job. I've listened to a couple of podcasts of that. Uh, he also writes for The Athletic Memphis and for the athletic NBA at large, he had a very, uh, I'd say, borderline viral article go off about Mike Conley last week heading into the end of the season. Uh, so it's been a pretty busy week for Mr. Peter Edmiston, and he's making time for us, which is much appreciated. Peter, how are you doing, sir? Well, first of all, though it has been a busy week, I'm never, ever, 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 ever too busy to check in with you. We've been trying to do this for a while. I'm thrilled to do it, man, because, uh, you know, you know, I love – the GBB bump. I love the GBB people. You guys do an awesome job. I talked to, you know, so many folks that are associated with GBB uh, over the course of my coverage of the Grizzlies. And uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's always, always great stuff. And you guys have such a, a unique look, number of different points of view, different folks coming in from different angles, which uh, makes it really interesting for, for me to check out. And uh, especially uh, so many young kids, man, that are just just hitting it hard and getting after it, and it's uh it's it's inspiring to, you know, an old timer such as myself, uh, to to see that. So, man, I'm 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 thrilled to do it. At 32, I think I'm an old timer now, Peter. Like you said, all the so young man, kids. I'm 39, man. I'm 39. I'm almost 40. Goodness. I'll be 40 at the end of this year. It's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm grizzled. This is unbelievable. Yeah. You don't look or act a day over twenty-one, so you you keep up the good work over there, Peter Edmiston. And uh, that's half that's half right, Joe. You're 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 half correct. <laughs> <on that. laughs> well, I appreciate your time, my friend, and we'll jump right into um, you know obviously the media hierarchy and adjustments in Memphis are pretty unique, and I've said that with you before, and I've said that on this podcast, uh, and I've told our staff this. People don't understand how good the Grizzlies are to us at grizzlybearblues.com and to other local blogs. Obviously, we have the SB Nation engine that helps us a good bit, 
But, you know, there's local bloggers, there's folks that have kind of risen up the ranks, like an Anthony Sane, who does a terrific job now with the Memphis Flyer. But he, he would be a good example of a guy who built himself up, started his own site, and the Grizzlies would credential him. You know, there's teams across the NBA that don't do that, uh, not even just for a local blog, but for SB Nation. Like, they won't credential SB Nation team sites. Uh, the Houston Rockets come to mind. They may have changed their policy in the past couple of years. But anyway, the Grizzlies are terrific, Ross and Jason, and, and I'm a big fan of them over in their press and uh, media center. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you guys, the the credentialed media that are con- consistently there, as you should be, uh, Daily Memphian, Commercial Appeal, and y'all at The Athletic, you guys had a chance to sit down with uh, Zachary Kleiman and Jason Wexler. Obviously, Jason Wexler, most folks are familiar with from the business side of things with the Grizzlies. Now he's overseeing the entire operation as Grizzlies president. Kleiman is the more unique kind of shift towards a new direction in the front office, a 30-year-old prodigy type of thinker, uh, really kind of reinforcing that brain trust that Robert Perra is going for uh, in this organization and still enough of a change to me to be meaningful in terms of bringing in a new coach, restructuring the front office, how they run their day-to-day operations over there. So your just initial takeaway from the interaction with that new core of a Grizzlies front office, Wexler and Kleiman. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, Joe. They, they were kind enough to, uh, and I, I think, and I think they felt like they, they needed to do it. I mean, it was, I, I'm glad they did, but um, you know, they, 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 they really did need to, to come in and, and kind of, uh, calm, try to calm the waters a little bit, I guess is the best to say, um, after pretty tumultuous situation with, uh, you know, the way that the, the situation on Thursday unfolded with media day and media availability and, and all that followed by, you know, the red wedding and <laughs> crazy, just <laughs> everyone getting whacked. And, uh, it was, it was pretty brutal, uh, and, and, and really pretty, honestly, pretty classless the way it was handled. Um, you know, some of that was 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 to some extent uh, unforeseen. Uh, a few things got a little out of their hands. I mean, Chris Wallace kind of got out over his skis with some of the things he said about JB Bickerstaff's job, uh, and you know <laughs> that he'd be back next year. And then JB heard that, and that it just made the situation a lot worse. That was you know Chris kind of freelancing there uh, when I don't think they expected him to uh, to do that at all. So they felt like they needed to kind of dial some of that back a little bit and, you know, talk to some of the, the local outlets, especially to try to calm the waters. So they did that with us, uh, with the athletic, me and Omari Sankofa were over there. Uh, also David Cobb and Mark Giannato from the CA and, and Chris Harrington, Jeff Calkins from the daily Memphis. And we each had kind of a rap session, 30, 40 minutes or so each to try to, um, just sort through and just ask questions, get on the record kind of discussion about uh, anything that, that we wanted to address and they would, you know, decline as they did a few things that I asked um, to, to comment on some things, but for the most part, they were pretty, pretty open. And, you know, these guys, here's the thing, like uh, they are, they, they're very, very smart. Uh, I mean, Jason Wexler, I don't know how much, you know, Jason, uh, Joe, having you know been around from then talked to folks sometimes, but Jason's, very sharp guy. He's a Memphian. He started as a fan, kind of worked his way up the ranks. The business side was brought in initially by Jason Levian and uh, has, has steadily worked his way up uh, to now where he's president of the entire team. Uh, he's certainly a hardworking guy, definitely has the best interest 
of the team at heart. Uh, again, not a traditional basketball executive, but uh, and definitely knows basketball and, and, and certainly is, is a shrewd business guy. On top of that, uh, you have uh, you know Zach Kleiman, who is 30, super young. Um, you know, he talked about feeling grizzled. When I'm talking to Zach Kleiman, I feel extremely grizzled. <laughs> uh, at, at that at that point, he's he is he is 30 and he looks like he's about you know 25. Yeah. But he's um, I mean he's he is a he's a, he's a very 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 sharp guy. Knows what he's talking about. Duke Law graduate from just a few years ago, 2013. You know, did several uh, high-level internships with with NBA teams. Uh, was brought in initially as legal counsel for the team, and kind of you know over the course of last year because things got a little squirrely, uh, as you remember. Certainly the uh, Brooks fiasco being the most squirrely of them all. Kleiman worked his way in after stuff like that happened because they just needed to button up the procedures. It was just too sloppy and somebody had to come in and, and just, just, just fix it a little bit. Just not, just stop being stupid. Um, and that was kind of his, his remit, just go in there and, and, and tighten it up a little bit. And that's, that's what he did. And he was basically, um, you know, it's hard to, at the trade deadline, you kind of, it's hard to, to you hear a lot of different things. It's hard to kind of sort through everything, but, but, uh, you know, I had certainly heard increasingly that he was involved in a lot of different stuff and uh, he, you know, now they kind of will talk about it more than, but he was certainly heavily involved in the Mark Saul trade. I know he was running point essentially for that trade um, throughout the process was the one in communication with uh, Mark's side. And I think he was the one in communication with Toronto as well on that. So um, to the extent that, that you like that trade, a lot of that is uh, from him. Uh, taking care of, of a lot of that. And so he's been empowered to, to run things. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the logical next question is, you know, does this, is this good? I, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it could be, it's, it's, it's a risk. It, it could work out well. I mean, you gotta, you know, you, you get, if you're going to find the young executives that are hot shots, uh, they don't always start that way and you got to build them up. So this is how they start. Maybe, uh, maybe he's, you know, Kleiman's going to be really, really good. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. He's going to work hard, but uh, man, he is, he is deeply inexperienced, uh, and that, that is always a little bit of a concern. Just a little bit, uh, just, just a little bit of a concern, and that frustration—not necessarily frustration, maybe that's not the right word—the, the concern, the uncertainty about what you're getting in this guy. And then the hiring process beyond that, because in your in your guys's coverage, uh, Harrington and Calkins at the Commercial Appeal, or excuse me, not the Commercial Appeal, Daily Memphian, and you mentioned the guys over at the Commercial Appeal. Uh, the, everybody kind of had a similar message in terms of him acknowledging that a he needs to earn everything that he's going to get in terms of NBA respect, and b he needs help. He needs kind of some guidance in terms of getting through the bureaucratic red tape of contract negotiations, interactions with agents, you know, that day-to-day operations that go along with being an NBA general manager-esque type person. Uh, Wexler on the Chris Vernon show specifically said he's not a general manager, but again, for all intents and purposes, he's the general manager of the Grizzlies, but he needs somebody to help guide him. And that leads to what your article in the athletic today is about taking a look at possible fill-ins for 
that role of kind of being an experienced advisor uh, within the front office. Because again, Chris Mackers is still there, but he's not uh, that experienced guy. Tayshawn Prince, still there, similar concept. Wexler, as you mentioned, oversees the overall process now. And if you're trying to get some, a, a fan base to buy into what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly again, then Wexler's your guy. So I think that hire was a home run. But how they follow up the climbing step is going to be fascinating to see. And you talk about that a little bit in your post for today. So why don't you tell folks what you uh, what you talked about for the athletic today? Yeah, for uh, for you know for folks out there to take a look and and subscribe. And I appreciate the kind words about the Conley piece. And uh, we've had some we've had some good ones uh, lately with uh, me and Amari are doing. Uh, I think we're, we're we're working hard. I know that much uh, to to try to bring some good stuff to folks. So definitely check it out. Um, you know, t- today the, the piece is is kind of a large sort of analysis, I guess, of, of what this looks like now, kind of what it's going to be, uh, flesh out a little bit of the information that I've been able to figure out about some of their roles, uh, some of the enhanced use of data analytics, um, specifically machine learning, uh, which I don't know if you're familiar too much with, uh, Joe, I'm not Johnny technology over here, but I'm, 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 I'm digging in as best I can. And, but this is something that, that Robert Pear has got some pretty decent familiarity with, and it's it's an increasing weapon in the arsenals of a lot of NBA teams. Not just data, because there's lots of data out there. In fact, there's just too much data, really. But it's about the next level is how to manipulate that data to best use it for your uh, effect. To figure out, you know, not just to look, anyone can gather all that information from second spectrum and from, uh, you know, all the various motion, the tracking camera, that all the, the information, there's tons of it, but how do you use it? And so that's where the Grizzlies are, are, are going to leverage uh, what they call machine learning to, to help uh, gather that data and use uh, algorithms to determine best courses of action and to find models that work to help them in player identification, player development, things like that, where they feel like they've fallen behind, they want to end up ahead of a lot of teams. That's going to be part of what Kleiman is um, is tasked to do, uh, but you know that's that's an expertise that that he may have, and he certainly dug in on that that side of it. But he doesn't have that experienced GM, you know, walking you through the league, talking to people. He doesn't have that, and that's where uh, these other guys will come in. And you know, one name that is that has cropped up, and very logically so, is Rich Cho, uh, formerly of the Charlotte Bobcats, then turned into Hornets. Uh, you know, he was there for the better part of a decade, was with the Thunder as well, assistant GM uh, there, time with the Blazers too. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, just from a logical standpoint, the most obvious one being that um, he's he, he checks that box of being an experienced GM. Um, but he also uh, worked with Kleiman directly uh, in the early 2010s Kleiman set up, and I, I tell the story in the piece, or actually Kleiman tells the story, about um, his internship with uh, Cho and what he did and kind of how he impressed him and the things that they were up to. So that makes sense. They certainly work together. That would make, you know, there's not too many people around the NBA that Kleiman really knows. He's one of them. So that right there would put him at the top of the list. If you look at Rich Cho's background, he came from a legal background where he was an intern while he was getting his, his law degree at Pepperdine. Uh, which is exactly what Kleiman did when he was getting his law degree at Duke as an intern and then moved into the NBA. So they, they share common background in addition to sharing time together. And obviously chose 53 
uh, much more experienced, knows people around the league, and, and can help navigate those waters. So I don't think he'd be brought in as a decision maker per se. Um, you know, I, I think we'll all kind of figure out when when this particular person is brought in, uh, I, I think that there's a pretty good chance that show will be brought in in some capacity. Uh, just what that capacity is, I, I, I do not I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure they know exactly yet. They're, you know, Kleiman is going to be the the guy. I mean, he's, he's going to be the, the the guy whose name is on the door and who's going to be ultimately in in charge of day to day basketball matters. So this person's not going to be brought in as a. I mean, they they may be called a GM, I guess. I, I don't know what they're going. I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do the titles. But but Kleiman is the one who is at least uh, as I understand it to be running this thing. So this guy will be next to him, work with him, but not. Uh, be above him that's for sure titles are so 2005 peter come on get with the yeah, times get yeah. modern man get modern baby I know, we're, it's a new age we're we're a brain trust now and we're just that's horrifying together, to me all... right but I, I again the the history of this organization is and that's again why wexler of this organization is there's no brain so Kleiman has to further drive home the point that this is different, that this isn't just rearranging furniture on the Titanic. And I agree with you that they did a good job of that after, again, I, I, I got a little too Machiavellian maybe. The ends justify the means, but I could certainly see how it could be perceived negatively the way that they led Wallace and Bickerstaff out to the fire to essentially uh, uh, burn alive in front of the Memphis media before they got uh, reassigned in the case of Wallace and fired in the case of Bickerstaff. The, the follow-up has been better, and I think that they're looking for ways to show that it's not going to be business as usual. That's good. But actions will continue to speak louder than words because Grizzlies fans over the course of the years, especially throughout the Wallace era, but even during the little break there when it was Jason Levy in and, and all of that craziness, there's still been a lot of inconsistencies. And I think one of the biggest things that they're going to have to prove to the fan base is this is going to have a vision and a point. And I wrote about that last week uh, in the road, not taken the, the concept of now that you have this new structure in place, choose a direction and go through it. No more in between stuff, pick a path and go the, either path is fine. As long as you commit to it, and you're willing to put in the time and invest the energy necessary to be successful with it. We're talking with Peter Edmiston of Sports 56 WHBQ and The Athletic in Memphis. If you don't subscribe to him and Omari over at The Athletic, you're doing it wrong. Uh, this is definitely the best time to be a Grizzlies fan in terms of content. Uh, lots of great stuff out there. And uh, anytime GBB gets mentioned in the breath of these folks, it is uh, really appreciated. Make sure you're following Twitter. If you don't already do so, chances are, if you're listening to this, you already do. But just in case you don't, at Peter Edmiston, E-D-M-I-S-T-O-N. Now, Peter, we look at the next step beyond the shows of the world and the Climans. Eventually, they're going to have to hire a head coach. And hopefully, they don't rush into mm -hmm. it like they did last time and hire somebody just for convenience. I think that we saw some evidence of that not happening this time around with uh, – the, the tweet well, I'm sure that you saw from Chad Forcier uh, talking about on to the next one, no longer being a Grizzlies assistant coach. Chances are that means he's probably not going to be in the mix to be a head coach as he tweeted that out earlier no, on I Monday. Can, uh, I mean, well, I, I can tell you just, just as a, as a quick jump in, please. 
a uh, couple things. Yeah, I, the, the entire none of the staff, as I understand it, will be retained. Um, so that would include Forcier. They, none of them will be retained. Um, I mean, maybe some of the, the the lower support staff potentially, but not any of the assistant coaches. Uh, and as far as the search goes, I asked, you know, Wexler about that point blank. Um, and he, while he would not be drawn on whether they would have done the J.B. Bickerstaff thing the same way, because <laughs> I asked them, I said, you guys are pretty process-oriented. That didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and he said, well, you know, we're all lawyers, so I would say objection, uh, speculation. That was his response to the to my <laughs> question there. And I said, I said, well, I don't see a judge here, Jason, so I don't know. I don't think we're in a court. But in any event, um, he wouldn't be drawn on that necessarily, but he did say point blank there will be a full coaching search this time. So I can well, tell hot you damn. That for sure. Hot. So there you go. Fascinating. That will, that will be, it's, that's 100%. So, yeah. There you we're go. taking advantage of the fact there's only 30 of these jobs in the entire world. That, Remarkable. I mean, that, the, to, it, seemed, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me to do it that way, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it made a lot of sense last time, too, and they didn't do it. So, I mean, oh, my you know. gosh. But I was told that they found their man. Anyway, we're not going to dwell on the past anymore, Peter. We're marching forward. And I am so excited for this, for exactly what you just said. The fact it's actually going to be a search this time. I am hopeful that they're going to take advantage of every meeting that they can get. They're going to meet with college coaches. They're going to meet with long-term NBA assistants. They're going to meet with other young NBA assistants, former players. I hope they bring in 10 to 15 different people and just pick their brains because Lord knows we need it. I think that you mentioned the Brooks debacle earlier in the season. You look at the way they did rotations from front office to coaching staff and everything in between. It just gave off a stench of an being inept. And I Mm -hmm. think that we need to learn as much as we possibly can. And especially with Kleiman being as young as he is, Wexler not being as experienced in the basketball side of things as he is obviously on the business end. They need to meet with as many people as possible that are willing to talk to them and just pick their brains and figure out what this actually should look like and how other teams are doing this. To me, that's the first step. We can wax nostalgic about Lionel Hollins and Dave Yeager and how if you could mesh the two, it'd be the perfect coach and all that stuff. And I think there's truth to that. But to me, the first step is just taking as many meetings as possible and picking the brains of these smart people that actually want to come to Memphis because they're going to give you information that's going to be valuable to you as you try to rebuild this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think certainly, you know, part of this process um, is going to be trying to get that information and trying to, uh, you know, get a brain trust together and, uh, you know, figure out what best practices are. I mean, I think a lot of that is what, what you're going to see with some of the uh, GM hires behind the scenes or some of the GM, like, like front office people, support person, sure. whatever, maybe former, former, former executives around the league. Uh, there'll be, you know, a couple of those at least uh, brought in that, and that that's kind of part of it is just to, 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 to have, make sure you've got some, some brain power that's been around the league and understands it. And yeah, as part of the, the coaching search, that'd be great too. Um, you, know, the, you know, just the, the fact is that this is a, now this will be the fifth coach under Robert Perez seven years. Um, that is not a great track record uh, to say the least. That indicates a lack of stability. You know, some of that is also aligned with the, the lack of front office stability. Uh, certainly, in the case of Lionel Hollins, uh, you know, that was a Levian situation. Uh, then Levian departs, and you know, things get a little squirrely with with Jaeger and his whole contract uh, mess. Uh, then the Fizz stuff is 
Uh, I think we've, <laughs> we've covered that pretty well. Right. JB was, was kept probably uh, you know, over the objections of some folks within the front office, but uh, it was what it was. Now there's another front office change. And so he's, so, I mean, you know, some of the stuff, the coaching changes are, are uh, unique, but it is what it is. Like the, that is still, if you're a head coach, you're looking at the situation and say, okay, I got, you know, what, what am I building on here? We got, we got this potential Conley trade. Uh, that's a rebuild. Jaron Jackson looks pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, obviously the lottery will determine a lot. Um, you know, if you end up with the number one or you end up with a top three pick, okay, cool. Uh, otherwise, mm, maybe not so much. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, I don't the all of that is to kind of say I don't know how many um candidates you're going to be able to to line up in a speculative fashion. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to sell to them. You're going to have to sell to some candidates, even probably some uh, assistants. I mean, here's the other factor too, Joe, I that I I have not been able to. I mean, I don't I don't know for sure, but I just know I just know history. And the Grizzlies under Robert Para have never paid a coach. They've never thought about it. They've been in the bottom five and usually the bottom one of coaching salaries around the NBA. I mean, it started with Hollins. They did not want to pay Lionel. Uh, and so Dave comes in at a much lower salary. Then Dave is up for renewal and wants more money, starts to flirt with Minnesota. That ends up costing him his job here. They bring in Fizz, who's making less. Uh, you know, Fizz's deal was structured where it would get a bump in the third year, but he never got to a third year for obvious reasons. JB made even less than Fizz at that point, and then he's gone. So they've never valued the coaching position financially, uh, which is another uh, area where they're going to have to, you know, if they're going to get somebody who's more than just your you know, run-of-the-mill assistant, you're going to have to plump up a little bit more, which they've been reluctant to do. So those all factors, I just don't know uh, if those are going to change. And if they do, then maybe the candidates can change. But otherwise, I don't know that you're going to be getting the best and the brightest. That's exactly right. I think that's fair, especially the financial side of things. And maybe this is Para's opportunity and the front office's opportunity. Obviously, Para's the one writing the check, ultimately. If you're going to bring in somebody of value, you're going to have to pony up some cash. This isn't teaching. This isn't nursing. This isn't a vocational right. uh, you know, opportunity where people feel they're called to this. It's a business. And these coaches also understand that they could be fired at the drop of a hat. And in the case of Memphis, that's happened on multiple occasions. You mentioned the history a moment ago. So they're going to have to change some things if they're going to execute this the way I want. But I think you're exactly right on that front, Peter. Some The process has to change on both sides of the aisle, not just in terms of the listening, but what you're actually willing to sell. We're finishing up here with Peter Edmiston of Sports 56 WHBQ and The Athletic in Memphis. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Peter Edmiston. Uh, we are doing our player review series over at Grizzly Bear Blues this week and next, Peter. And one of the players that's surely going to have a fascinating offseason within Memphis is DeLon Wright. Here's a guy who on one hand has some Marshawn Brooks to him in terms of his capacity to put up meaningless stats in games that the opposing team's probably not trying very hard. But at the same time, he showed flashes of real NBA skill, whether it's getting to the basket, whether it's rebounding as a larger perimeter uh, point guards, combo guard type of guy, uh, you know, whether it's uh, facilitating for others. Again, 
the ability to just dribble at times is impressive for Memphis Grizzlies players, and he has that ability and then some. So there's a lot of things to like about him. Going into restricted free agency, it's pretty much guaranteed that Memphis will will tender him an offer. They'll put a uh, a qualifier up so that they can match whatever an opposing team offers. My question to you, Peter, and, and I'll answer it after you do, what is your your point of walking away when it comes to re-signing DeLon Wright if somebody offers it and you say, no, we can't match that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tricky because, you know, these, these things are, are, are not – uh, binary decisions, you know, it's not a, uh, okay, for sure, 5 million, 6 million, 7 million, whatever the number is, you just don't know what the market's going to look like. And you don't know, um, you know, what that offer will kind of be, how it will be structured. Uh, so I, it's hard to say in that hypothetical, um, I, I will say that he's a really interesting player. I mean, you know, obviously from a backup point guard standpoint, he's, like one of the greatest in the history of the Grizzlies. Uh, but that is a very, very <laughs> meaningless stat. Uh, if you look at the history of the backup point guard position for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, so, you know, being at the top of that list is, uh, is not, not necessarily the, the highlight of, of most guys career. Um, he's, he's very talented. Um, he's older than I would like to say for a guy that's, I'm looking for some growth and potential you know, when he's 27, I mean, he's a week older than Jonas Valanciunas, uh, which is not the, the greatest uh, for, for, for my standpoint. Um, he will, you know, I, I, the, the shot is a concern. Uh, the inability to consistently shoot. He certainly has great hands, good instincts, good, uh, can steal, can, can be very disruptive defensively. Uh, is a good uh, physical player for his position, got some good size to him, uh, can get in there and rebound a little bit, which is nice for the Grizzlies especially. Um, a, a pretty good passer. So, I, I mean, again, I think he's he's a solid, you know, B, B to B minus kind of player. But I'm not, you know, I, I the Grizzlies are certainly a tender and he'll be a restricted free agent. I would say probably like if it was like three, if we're getting into like the $10 million a year range, uh, I'm, I'm balking. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about that. Um, anything below that I'm probably okay with. I, I would, but I would think that he would come in at a number below that. I've kind of pegged like, you know, three and between 20 and 25 million is just kind of my starting point. What I think would, would make sense Maybe there's a fourth year in there as an option or some sort, so you you know add another seven or eight million to it, but some something in that neighborhood to me makes sense for both sides. Um, I don't know the market's going to be super hot for for Delon Wright, uh, given the how crazy free agency is going to be. Um, so I think that seems reasonable um, to me, and you know I, I think he's he's a good player, but if he's your starting point guard, I, I just don't I don't I don't like your chances. Um, to win a whole lot of games. I kind of like him at roughly the same amount of as Kyle Anderson. You know, the mid-level exception kind of level feels good to me. Uh, I think that Kyle got paid a little bit based off of his age. Obviously, he had some productivity with the Spurs, and he took advantage of greater opportunity and role towards the end. Kawhi Leonard goes down, that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, to me, the mid-level exception range around 8 to $9 million per on average, and obviously it goes up to about 10 or 11, I think, towards the end of Kyle's contract. 
I'd be comfortable with around that, maybe a little bit less because he's an older player. So I think we're on the same page there, but I'm with you. He's extremely interesting as a starter. I don't think you're a very good basketball team as a reserve. I think he could be a 20 to 22 minute a night combo guard on a pretty good Mm -hmm. basketball team. And I think in flashes, he did that for the Raptors. It just wasn't there consistently enough for Toronto to stick with him long-term. Peter Edmiston, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time as always, the great work you do in Memphis, both on Sports 56 and with The Athletic. Keep it up, sir. And uh, of course, we're going to have you back on down the road. Absolutely, Joe. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you on, uh, on, on with me here. Uh, we'll work on that this week. Ooh, uh, yes. It's, it's uh, Peter knows it's spring, spring break spring for break, me. It's, it's spring break time, right? So it's spring break. Uh, oh, I'm free. Break. Beautiful. I'm free. Beautiful. You give me a call, buddy, and I'm there. That sounds good, Joe. We, we will set it up uh, for, for later in the week. I'll shoot you a message. Uh, and as always, uh, big, big props to everybody at uh, a GBB. Keep up the great work. And uh, thanks to the GBB bump. Thanks for checking out the athletic. We're <laughs> we're working hard for you. What other plugs I got? Uh, everything's great at Peter Edmiston. Go check that out too. Uh, Game of Thrones, great show. Check that out. <laughs> if I got all the plugs in, Joe, are we good? Are we good? If I, if I plugged everything, I could possibly. Plug. I think you got it all in. That's pretty impressive, <laughs> sir. As always, I appreciate you, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, man. All right, see you, bud. All right, there he goes, Peter Edmiston. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Peter Peter Edmiston. Excuse me, at the Athletic Memphis. They do awesome work. He, Omari, uh, they're really just a a terrific tandem over at The Athletic. Peter does a great job, of course, at Sports 56. Thank you to Peter Edmiston and Jack Noonan. Both of our guests were terrific on this episode of the show. And the next time that we're on with an episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live, the guests will continue to be strong. Colin Griffith is an awesome contributor over at grizzlybearblues.com, a staff writer. He'll join me on the next podcast. And then Chris Vernon of the Chris Vernon Show on Grind City Media. He does the Grizzlies pre- and post-game show. He does the Ringer NBA podcast, wears a lot of different hats. I'm excited to talk with Chris about his interview with Jason Wexler, his work alongside this new front office, developing those relationships, because he was pretty close with Chris Wallace. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I'm interested in getting Chris's take on all the upheaval with the Memphis Grizzlies. So again, for Peter Edmiston, for Jack Noonan, thank you so much for joining us once again on the GBB Live podcast. I am your host, the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Mullinax, saying grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Thank you.